In the 1960s, Robert S. Hartman, the founder of the science of axiology and a PhD in math, law, and philosophy, was speaking with senior executives at Nationwide. He told them that there are four things they should focus on. One, know yourself. Two, choose yourself. Three, grow yourself. Four, give yourself to something greater than yourself. Today, I'm interviewing Cliff Hurst, who is a professor at Westminster College and who is a Robert S. Hartman researcher and expert. He shares that quote and many other interesting and inspiring insights. Can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi, my name is Susie Price. I'm with Priceless Professional Development, and you're listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. In this podcast, we cover everything related to helping you and the employees and the organizations you work in and support activate your greatness, activate their greatness, and creating a Wake Up Eager Workforce. Now, I am a professional facilitator. And I started Priceless Professional Development, a training and development company in 2004. So we are experts in an assessment science called Trimetrics, and we help leaders and consultants use that science to assist in their efforts to create this wake-up eager workforce where people bring the best of who they are to the work. They're committed, they're interested, they're engaged, they feel valued, they give value, And we help companies use this Trimetrics tool and this science throughout the life cycle of their employees. So through hiring, onboarding, leadership development, conflict resolution, team building. And we also train and certify others to become experts. And one thing that I really enjoy doing is providing thought leadership about these areas of hiring, onboarding, leadership development, conflict resolution, and team building. And we do that through our books our blog, we have a very full website with all kinds of articles and insights, and this podcast. We have something new this year that I've started. It's Wake Up Eager Tips and Insights. You can find tips at wakeupeager.com. These are personal and professional ideas, thoughts, things I'm thinking about, things I'm doing, things I'm feeling, their mind, body, spirit, and, and they're shared in that order. And here's three headlines from the July 24th, 2019 tips for the week. The headline for mind, which is thinking and systemic, is three questions that I keep revisiting. The headline for the body doing extrinsic section is spices, ah, and waking up eager, a simple task. And the headline for spirit being and intrinsic is no regrets. Go over and check out the tips and the insights. Give me some feedback on those. Hope you enjoy them and that you get some information from them. That's helpful and just keep checking us out. We'll be sharing them on LinkedIn and Facebook and the webpage is wakeupeager.com and there'll be a link to it in the show notes. So this episode today is episode number 58 and the title of today's episode is How Robert S. Hartman's Work Can Change How You Think, Act, and Work. And as said in the opening, it's an interview with Cliff Hurst, who has his PhD, and he is a Robert S. Hartman researcher and expert and a professor at Westminster College. I'll give you more on his background. I want to touch on Robert S. Hartman in case you're not familiar with who he is. We've been doing a bit of a series around a lot of Hartman's work here on the podcast, and he is the founder of the science of axiology, which is a key science in the trimetrics assessment. He had PhDs in math, law, and philosophy. And interesting about Robert, and we'll touch on some of this in our conversation with Cliff, is Robert Hartman was initially Robert Schirakauer. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. In 1932, he fled Germany with a fake passport because he rejected communism and believed that every life is sacred and then you can't kill people for an idea. So he wanted 
to promote peace and um, good. And he ran for his life. He had to change his name. He became Robert S. Hartman. He had, as I mentioned, the PhDs in math, law, and philosophy. He wrote 12 books. And Cliff will talk about, because he, Cliff's been in the archives of his work, hundreds and thousands of pages and articles. Um, he was nominated for a Nobel Prize, and he worked with companies like Siemens, Volkswagen, Alcoa, Illumina. They were all using the Hartman Value Profile, which is based on the science of axiology. And it's interesting that Hartman was colleagues with Abraham Maslow, which is a name many people know. Maslow uh, was focused on moving from, in the hierarchy of needs that we move from safety to self-actualization. And the Hartman value profile or the axiology science is a roadmap. Um, Hartman's vision was to give us the means to recognize and fulfill the good within each of us. So his contrast that he suffered and, and watched, he took it and brought it here and said, okay, how can I figure out how to measure the good so that we can be all that we can be and enrich our lives And so, and enrich our world, more goodness, more peace. So the Hartman value profile, the axiology science is a roadmap pointing where we are and how we're thinking and making decisions and where it's possible to go. So that gives you a little framework on Hartman. The content that we cover today, there's three main points. Cliff shares how Robert S. Hartman's work provides a moral foundation, so more on what I just shared, and you'll get a better understanding of the depth and breadth of Hartman's work. He'll talk about two ways the science of axiology can help us know and grow and choose and give more of ourselves. And then Cliff shares insights, books, and tips and inspiration about living on purpose. And he is definitely someone who's living on purpose. You'll hear it in his voice. You'll feel it. And you'll you'll learn about it through the changes that he's made in his career, which are very interesting. So to find the show notes for today, we'll have everything in the show notes. We'll have everything he mentions and links to everything. It's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash cliff, C-L-I-F-F. And the uh, tracker messages on all of our show notes pages are always lowercase. So it's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash cliff. I mentioned that we were in a series about assessment science and how to use assessments effectively. Um, I want to provide more tools to the tens of thousands of clients who have either completed the trimetric assessment or who have been trained or certified in these tools. And so I'll touch on what those are and we'll have links to these in the show notes. So the first part of this series is was the weaponizing of the DISC assessment, why it's wrong and what to do about it. You can find it at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash weapon. The next is Talent Insights Team Building Session Success, 10 plus 1 Practical Facilitation and Debriefing Tips. Find that at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash talent insights. We did an episode, my most recent episode was about axiology and intrinsic valuation and understanding others. You can find that at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash understanding others. And you can find all of our shows at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. You can see the directory there, the show notes. You can play it. You can download it. We've got an app you can access. You get the episodes immediately on your phone. And you can find us on iTunes. So wakeupeagerworkforce.com, iTunes and many other places. So I want to uh, go ahead and give you a little insight about Cliff. I'm excited about this episode because... As I mentioned, you're going to get a richer understanding around Hartman and who he is. You're going to feel and see and experience Cliff's passion and insight. He's very kind, thoughtful, and honest. And he is exactly the kind of person you want teaching college, teaching in the colleges, leading our young adults. So I'm, I'm so happy he's in the world doing the work that he's doing. A little bit about him. He's, he has 30 years of experience in business and management, which is very cool that he's in the colleges bringing entrepreneurial and business and management expertise. He spent 24 years managing uh, his own management consulting business or running his own management consulting business. And that's where I first met him. In 2012, he joined the faculty of Westminster College because, and he tells a story about going back and getting his PhD. He is very interested in entrepreneurship and Hartman's work and people's desire to do good in the world and, 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 having meaning in their life, 
And so he reads a lot and he enjoys writing. And he is on the board of the Hartman Institute, an institute that I just joined this year to be on the board as well. He is the vice president of research of the Hartman Institute. And he's also the editor. We have a journal of writings by other experts who are studying Hartman and have insights to share. So he is the editor of this annual journal. And I think we've had 12 volumes so far, 11 or 12 volumes. And as a member of the Hartman Institute, you get all of those volumes as part of your membership. You can also buy those volumes. So HartmanInstitute.org, if you want to find out more about those, what's covered, there's interesting uh, research in there and insights. Also, Westminster will be the host of the annual meeting of the Hartman Institute conference that we have in October of this year. Cliff is married. He's got two grown children and his wife, Dana, is an organizational consultant as well. He enjoys camping, kayaking, and he'll tell you a little bit more about his hobbies when we talk about that getting to know you section of the interview and discussion. All right, let's hit it. Welcome, Dr. Clifford Hurst. Thank you for being here today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I can't wait for us to start our discussion, and we're just going to jump right in. Let's talk about Robert S. Hartman and his work, and let's talk about uh, how you came across Robert S. Hartman's work and why you're committed to sharing it with others. Well, sure. I I had my own organizational development consulting practice, and using a variety of assessments, I was a value-added associate of TTI, who you're familiar with. I was using the DISC profile and the motivations, as well as some tools from others in my work in leadership development and executive coaching and so forth, when TTI introduced me to the Hartman Value Profile. That was 2002. Dave Mefford and Jay Niblick came to the annual conference and gave us an introduction. I took the assessment. It was embarrassingly accurate. I started using it in my coaching practice, especially. And I don't know if you found this, but my experience as an executive coach was that if you first start working with someone, there tends to be a defensiveness in the beginning. People put a mask up. They want to dance away from what the real issue is. They, they, they tend to think, well, something must be wrong. You were hired as a coach. What's wrong? And even if it wasn't because anything was wrong, it's because they have high potential You spend a lot of time, or at least I spend a lot of time, trying to get enough trust with the other person to break through that defensiveness. And when I started using the Hartman value profile, it's like the mask just melted away. And people got very real very quickly. And I thought that was magic. And they would ask me, well, Cliff, where did this come from? And I'd say, well, I don't know, some psychology, some philosophy. Trust me, it's good stuff. And I, I didn't really like my own answer, nor did they. So I immediately said, I better learn more about where this came from. And I found it was a lot to learn. Immediately started going to the annual Hartman conferences, read my way through the structure of value, discovered the knowledge of good and plowed through that. And it made me realize how little of psychology and philosophy I know. And I wanted to know more. It was actually a large part that prompted me at a fairly, um, how do I say it, mature stage in life to go on a PhD. And throughout my five and a half years of doctoral studies, I did a very deep dive into Hartman's work. And that deep dive has only gotten deeper since 2012. I, uh, I really wanted to pursue that doctorate to become a more theoretically grounded consultant, increase my fees, and uh, decided about midway through I'd really enjoy this academic life I asked my wife, you know, maybe I could become a professor. And she said, go for it. So I switched careers and uh, have been a full-time professor since 2012. And uh, this is the center now of my research interest and my academic pursuits. It's awesome. Great story on how Hartman has impacted your world, changed your career. What do you love about academics? Um, We're willing to go where people haven't been before. In fact, Robert Hartman is just my role model for all things academic. He was, to me, a polymath, someone who knows a whole lot about a lot of things. And I look back at my own career, and I look at a lot of people who are using the instrument as consultants. If the only thing you're doing is the instrument, you're leaving a lot of richness 
off the table because Hartman was so thoughtful about so many different things that the theory of formal axiology is much richer than the instrument itself. And those of us who use the instrument, if we don't also study the theory, are missing something important. Then in, in just the past two years, well, I'll, I'll even back up. So during my doctoral studies, I read everything I get my hands on that Hartman ever wrote. And I read as much as I could of some of those leading axiologists uh, like Rem Edwards, who's my all-time mentor, uh, Steve Byram, uh, Marvin Katz, Robert Carter, uh, Frank Forrest, Leon Pomeroy, those who were writing about axiology. I studied all I could of them and thought I knew a lot. And then last summer, I got a small research grant. I was able to take two of my students with me to the University of Tennessee, where Hartman's unpublished papers reside. Upon his death, uh, his widow, Rita, donated all of his lecture notes, speeches, unfinished manuscripts, intended books, intended journal articles, over 100,000 pages of papers that are sitting in carbon paper copies, file cabinets, in a vault at the University of Tennessee. Most of them have never been read since his death. And so we spent eight days there last summer combing through those and we digitally captured everything that we could. And I'm so excited. We, we digitized about 2,500 pages of his work on behalf of the Institute. Uh, I am now working to bring some of those into publication. Uh, the first one we did, you probably know, is I'll show it to you. It's the, yes. the five lectures on formal axiology, uh, which I think are, are fairly readable because they were, they were delivered by Hartman as lectures on various college campuses. Being that they were written for oral delivery, they're a lot easier to grasp than some of his other more esoteric writing. All this summer, I've been studying and transcribing what I hope will be our next book about Hartman's writings on war and peace or international relations. I'm not sure what we'll title it, but I've now transcribed word for word over 300 more pages of Hartman's writings. And I tell you, when you sit down and you type out word for word what someone else said and see his handwritten changes, you feel like you really get to know the person. Most of us know he was, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973, but what led up to that, his work in trying to turn a, a lifetime riddled with war into a prescription for peace. Mm. We saw the light of day. I, I hope it will soon. Mm. He, um, yep. Gosh, I keep going. I'm sorry. He, no, keep going. Keep he, going. He wrote another book that fascinates me. It was not published in English. A version was published in German in 1958. It was completed. It's called A Partnership of Capital and Labor. I did not know this until these archive dives, but Hartman was a scholar of Marx. And he said, you know, Marx got about half, something's right and something's wrong. Adam Smith got something's right and something's wrong. We need a new synthesis, a new moral basis for capitalism, where the people who do the work can benefit and bring their whole selves to the work and benefit extrinsically from it. Um, he was the founder of the U.S. Profit Sharing Council Industry Association. I bought a copy of their 1958 manual, which has Hartman's introduction to profit sharing. I was just speaking on the phone last fall with a fellow who was recently retired as executive director of a nonprofit that was sort of an outgrowth of that. It's today an organization of consultants who coach corporations on how to use 401ks and 403bs. He said, Cliff, did you know that the stuff began by Robert Hartman in 1958 has created $7 trillion of personal wealth in America, and most people don't know that came from Hartman. Wow. So talk a little bit about that, because it's something that I intrinsically get, um, but I don't have the grasp at all like you do. First off, you've been sitting with Hartman. He's been on your shoulder as you're yeah. interpreting his work. And I think it's what we all feel that draw us to his work when we learn about the science of value and how we and how it measures how we think and make decisions. And you said we're leaving the richness if we only look at the tool. And um, so I'm going to ramble a minute to get to my question. But 
what I see is a lot of people who are very, the Medfords and different folks, yourself, you're talking about it as well. They use the science for so many things. So we think about it in corporations for hiring. They used it, have used it in hospitals and health. You can use it in sports. You can use it in creating peace, not war. So how would you explain to someone how this science lends itself to so many disciplines? How would you, to someone who's not sitting in Hartman's readings every day or, you know, maybe isn't going to read all the material, I, I guess my thought would be, and I would say it in a summary statement, well, his work is a foundation of how we think and make decisions, and it's the qualities that we need to make good decisions. And so that's why it applies across all disciplines. Say it in your more educated, wonderful way. Well, I hope you'll attend my opening presentation at the Hartman Conference. I don't Perfect. want to give it all yes. away here. Well, <laughs> and, you give out part of it. Okay. So, tell um, us, tell us. This is the foundation for a science. He called it a values is of morals. Uh, one of the key things missing in the world today is a common understanding of what makes humanity human. And for instance, we many people take a very, I think, narrow approach to capitalism and see it's only about money, but it should be about the human good and the good of everyone involved. And that reframes a lot. Uh, Steve Byram wrote a, a wonderful and very readable book called From the Neck Up in which he contrasted the uh, and compared the principles of scientific management as espoused by Frederick Taylor, which formed the assembly line and the basis of total quality management and all that with Robert Hartman's insistence that why don't we, I mean, the assembly line did a lot for our material well-being, but it also kind of sucked the life out of the meaningness of work. And mm -hmm. Hartman says, we need to bring the whole person in. I, as a professor today, one of the differences I see in young people from when I graduated from college, when I graduated from college, which was 1975, everyone wanted to chase the brass ring. The idea was to work, if you were in a business management, to go work for IBM. If you were in marketing, to go to Procter & Gamble, and you wanted to work in the biggest name company you could get to and stay there for 30 years and retire. And today's young people don't have that vision more than anything else. They don't want just a job when they graduate. They want to find meaning in their own lives and they want to make a difference in the world through their work. And I believe Hartman's theory will allow us to honor that ambition. Mm. And when you think about thinking about the language of, so uh, people who are listening, if they're working with me and we've, we've done training on trimetrics and we've done training on the acumen part of the assessment, systemic is the capitalism in the business, is the manufacturing piece, the structure of the manufacturing piece, the assembly line, you know, the structure that makes the product and extrinsic would be the type of product and how it compares in the market and how they how, be competitive. Yeah. How well you market it, how well you produce it. How well you market it. And then intrinsic is the feeling around the product, but then when you apply that to also the people on the assembly line feeling engaged when he said bring the whole person in he's talking you know in the business looking at systemic extrinsic and intrinsic and the intrinsic sometimes gets left aside because we're so busy with the systemic and extrinsic right it's and often left aside often not always but it is is in this example that you just gave and then with the people today the college students that you're seeing and uh, younger people today they are tapping into the importance of the intrinsic and saying, I'm not leaving this behind. Not that others right. haven't. I obviously do in my life, and I think you do, and many people who are listening have a balance of the three. Uh, yeah, and, and finding that balance that. took me longer than I would like it to take today's yes. youth. Yes, and yes. That's why I'm kind of evangelical about this. Yeah, so it's interesting that it applies to everything because it is what he discovered was if you're good or if you're self-actualized or you're doing the best you can do, you're found a balance in all dimensions in whatever you're pursuing, whether it's your health, whether it's mental clarity, whether it's a business, entrepreneurship, guiding students. Yeah. And this, we need all three pieces, right? Yeah, and this IES goes far beyond the instrument. I mean, that can be a way to get people starting to talk about this. But when you grasp 
the th basic theory of formal axiology and you can look at the world through those three dimensions. Yes. It provides a balanced perspective to your cognitive habits and, and to, and it provides a moral foundation to what we ought to be doing in the world. And I think it's needed. Yeah. And Hartman said it 60 years ago. Yeah. And it's been dormant. Yeah. Uh, can, can I read you something that I put in the forward to the five lectures? Yes, Because when we, were, when we were putting these together, I came across some, again, this is in the archives, some correspondence that Hartman's widow, Rita Hartman, had with a dear friend of theirs, John Davis, just days after Hartman's death. And she wrote to John Davis, and I quote, I can comprehend that the life I helped to build has reached an end. But what overwhelms me and hurts more than anything else is to see the abundance of unfinished publications lying fallow. I'm almost obsessed with the idea that somehow this must be utilized, it must go on, it must be used. Mm -hmm. um, that means a lot to me. I wasn't around when the, or involved with this when the, I was around, but I wasn't part of it. Yeah. When the Institute was founded in 1976 by some people who wanted to preserve advance and refine and, and broaden the acceptance of Hartman's work. I'm a Johnny come lately. I came to it in 2002, but boy, I'm, I want to add my little part to making that. I'd say you're the Johnny come rightly. Well, thank you. Because <laughs> your sincerity and your interest and, you know, universe has a way of bringing all requests to the forefront. So there's her wish in, in, in his work and there's your wish of wanting to uh, help people and sincerely want to help people find that balance sooner. And there's nothing like you sitting with his work and having it flow through you yeah. and you're bringing these materials to light. And by the way, all of the things that you're, you're showing the five uh, lectures that you just read from mm -hmm. and Steve Byram's book and all of your information will be on the show notes today. So okay. people will be able to go there to click to all of that, to order that information and share that. But I'd say you're Johnny come rightly. Well, thank you. It's going to take a bunch of us and you're doing more than your share as a new board member. So thank you. Yeah, well, we're all in it together, and we all have that same understanding of the power of the work. You have it in a deeper way, which I really respect. And um, but we all—I I think everybody who starts the assessment and starts learning pieces of it, even though it is an assessment, the science behind it makes sense, and it calls people and they're interested in it and like you said when there's resistance sometimes when you're coaching because people say you know I don't really want to do this and then they learn about themselves through that science this science and and start to drop the mask and then really understand okay this is how I'm thinking this is how I'm making decisions and oh I can apply that to everything in the world that's amazing yeah in fact um, I after what has it been now 16 years of pretty diligent study of Hartman's work. I thought I knew a lot about Hartman because I thought I knew a lot about formal axiology. In the right. past year and a half, I've begun to discover that axiology is only one side of the coin of his thought. His earliest work in his dissertation, Steve Byron writes about it, Leonardo Gomez Hernandez is knowledgeable about this. Hartman referred to what he called his teleological period. Teleological. teleological. Uh, maybe I'm not uh -huh. even pronouncing it right. Maybe it's teleological. Yeah. It's teleological. I had to look that up. I didn't know what it meant. But he said that preceded my work in formal axiology. When I started writing about axiology, I kind of dropped the teleological part of it. But basically, what it refer teleology refers to goal-oriented action over time. It's part of process philosophy, process theology. It's what makes us, part of what makes us human is we, I mean, so axiology is a snapshot. You give someone a Hartman value profile, it says, here's where you are today. Yep. If you're going to do something about it, that's a teleological process. You yep. need to think, okay, how can I set a goal and move in the future direction? We uncovered a manuscript, which we will publish somewhere in some form, which I believe was the beginning of one of his final Hartman often referred to a book he was going to write that summed it all up. Um, Maybe one of those two sums. It was simply, the manuscript simply called My Work. 
It's only about 20 pages long, and it just stops. Uh, clearly, he would yeah. just started writing it when he died. But in it, he starts to move towards a synthesis between his teleological period and his axiology. Mm. He wanted to bring all his life's work together. Right. Uh, he died before he did that, but he hinted at it. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. And would you say, this is what I say, but you correct me, I might be wrong. So if you say you take, I know it's a snapshot when you take the axiology part of the uh, assessment, mm-hmm. but it's a snapshot showing you the roadway or the path to being all that you can be, fully realized self-actualization, all good by wherever you scored in the different dimensions, the ability to choose to do the teleological thing <laughs> by creating a plan to go from here's what the snapshot says to here's where I can be. Well, I think that's the role of the coach yeah, is, to, the is coach. to help see that. I, I think there are two gifts that the Hartman Value Profile gives people. One, it gives you the ability to bring to conscious awareness thought patterns that you've had held subconsciously. Hartman, yep. as you know, is a student of Edmund Husserl's, the founder of phenomenology. And Husserl talked about, I can't say the German word for it, but in English translation, it's habitualities. Oh, yes. He called them habitualities. Those things that we have done so long and so repeatedly that we know, even though one time we consciously thought about them, they're so deep-seated, we don't even think about them anymore. Yep. And the exercise I use in class is to just fold your arms. And most people fold their arms without thinking which one's on top. When they're bringing their attention and ask them to change it and put the other arm on top, you realize how awkward that is. That's a, an habituality. Yep. So without the Hartman value profile, we don't know what those habitual thought patterns are. Right. The second thing it brings to conscious awareness are what another philosopher, Gadamer, called cognitive horizons. Uh, a visual horizon is pretty easy to know. You know, how far can you see? Well, how far can you think? What are the limits of your cognitive processes? The Hartman profile shows those too. So the first thing it does is it brings to conscious awareness these things that we don't know about how we think. And the second thing it does, and this is crucial, it gives us a language with which to understand it. Yep. Uh, Gadamer also said that all understanding is linguistic. I believe is almost right, not completely, but we, we can't process this stuff if we don't have a language with which to process it. IES is that language with, with which to understand it. Mm-hmm. So axiology raises that to your conscious awareness. Then the question becomes, so what? Do I want to do something about it? Well, that takes a teleological process. It takes a yes. desire and a willingness, and often it takes help and coaching and yeah. And guidance from others, I think that's where a, a, a trained axiologist can be a great benefit to someone who wants to improve their life as a coach. Yeah, that's awesome. So we've touched on how you use and share Hartman's work, and we've mm-hmm. also touched a little bit about how the work has his work has impacted your life. What else would you like to add? to how you use his work and how it's impacted you. Sure. I, there's a, a statement he made in a presentation to senior executives at Nationwide Insurance, and it was captured in, in his autobiography, Freedom to Live. And Hartman told these executives, there are only four steps to a successful life. Number one, know yourself. Two, choose yourself. Three, grow yourself. And four, give yourself to something greater than you. I've adopted that as my own personal mission as a professor. My mission is to help my students to know themselves, choose themselves. And by the way, that's really hard when you're in your 20s. And then grow yourself, which is part of formal education. And more importantly, to give yourself to something greater than you. Mm. That's, I, I don't find a better guide in my life than that those four steps out of those four steps what would you say was most challenging for you along the way on this journey to where you are today is there one that stands out as like oh that was harder to to do than some of the others kind of one and two Uh, one and two when i was college age i had this vision of who i was supposed to be Mm -hmm. that in carl rogers words was introjected upon me 
Yeah, introjected. I like that. Yeah, I grew up thinking I was supposed to be a lawyer and I was going to be a lawyer and an ambassador and and this kind of thing. And I had it all mapped out. And then over time, I realized, wait a minute, that was what some others thought I should be, my parents Mm -hmm. and others who influenced me. And it it took me a couple of false starts to really be good at looking in the mirror and say, well, who am I and who am I supposed to be? Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by choosing yourself. You have to know who you are to choose it. But once you know it, you've got to then say, okay, that's what I'm here for. And I was attending a conference in March. I spoke at it and and then heard some other keynote speakers. And and one of the speakers quoted Mark Twain, who said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Ah, yes. And that resonates with me. Uh, it took me too long to find my why. I was 59 when I became a professor. I think that's what I'm called to do. Mm. I've been teaching all my life, but in different circumstances. And I, I, I now resonate and I can bring who I am to what I do in a way that's more actually sound, more psychologically grounded and fulfilling to me than the other roles I've had in life. That's I wish, amazing. I wish today's... 22-year-olds can figure that out earlier. They're not going to know it when they graduate from college, but if they can find out by their 30s or something, why am I here on earth? And how can I be the best me that I'm supposed to be? That's Hartman's words. So that's what Hartman talks about when he talks about the intrinsic valuation of the self. And I find a lot of people are more capable of intrinsically valuing others than they are themselves. And this is a a vital part of it. And you don't need IES language to figure that out. Carl Rogers, uh, I really admire what Carl Rogers writes about in his approach to psychotherapy, uh, his book on becoming a person. Uh, Susan Wolf wrote a wonderful little philosophy book called Meaning in Life and Why It Matters. That uh, I wrote a, a review of it for one of the issues in the journal. And I really think she's an axiologist without using the words. Mm. With the choosing yourself, I think that that, when you said that was hardest for yourself, I think a lot of people would relate to that, and I relate to it, and it's that constantly remembering that my preferences matter, that, you know, what I think matters, how I feel about something matters, as opposed to here's what everyone's giving me, Mm -hmm. you know, so it is that valuing. So that's interesting. And the know yourself, too. We have these, these ideas about who we are and what other people have told us we are yeah. to getting a true vision on that. And it's not easy. Armin went through some extraordinary life circumstances to be who he was. Mm. I've had the good fortune of not having to escape Nazi Germany or Sweden when Nazism took over there. I didn't have to live in five different countries. He did. And through it all, he realized who he's supposed to be. And I admire him for that. Yeah. Contrast will clarify your thinking. Yeah. And I admire his serious effort to share it with the world. Unfortunately, a lot of it didn't get shared before his timely death. Untimely death. Until until, uh, many people have been working over the years. We talked by email. I've been looking at the timeline of the Robert Hartman Institute, Mm -hmm. you know, the genesis of when Hartman landed in in here in the U.S. and in Mexico, and then how the Institute, when he passed, and all the players along the way. It's like, it's a feeling of standing on shoulders of people who have had the same interest, and they did their part, you know, so it feels a little like it's now you, Johnny, come rightly for you, and hopefully Jane come rightly for me and all of us to share some of this work and help. Yeah, I hope so. And and by the way, a lot of Hartman's good writing was done when he was in Mexico in Spanish, that those of us who are English speakers aren't tapped into well. Uh, We do have an Ibero-American branch, uh, Gilberto Carrasco and, and Leonardo are on the board, and they both have a lot of insight. They've got some published articles in an in a academic journal that Hartman wrote for the National University of Mexico. Some of that, I think, predates his axiology. Some of it is about his teleological period. Mm-hmm. We need to get that translated into English. We need some of our English translated back into Spanish. He actually had a bigger following in Mexico for late 50s and early 60s than, than in the U.S., 
Um, that was his residence, I believe, right? Yeah, for a period, for a period of, time. of time. And then yeah. at the end of his life, he spent half a year each at the University of Tennessee and National University of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So he was a visiting professor. And, and another point I haven't even gotten to yet, in 2017, uh, Jay Morris, who's a member of the Institute and on the board, was at the archives and discovered a manuscript, which he said was overwhelming to him. It's called On God's Side. And it's uh, it's 850 pages long. Jay at that time had only read part of it and captured part of it. During our trip last summer, my students and I scanned the entire thing. I'm not sure what to do with it. It's a monumental work. It was finished in 1943. And that's wow. right when the U.S. was at the height of World War II. It was unclear who was going to win that war. On God's side is a philosophical reflection on the spiritual causes of war. Mm. Uh, It's a deep dive into process theology. (laughs) And uh, it's written as an act of imagination, I believe. Uh, That's my interpretation. It's written as an act of imagination between Hartman and his deceased father. So it's a dialogue. And on God's side, as his father is on the other side, and he's seeing what's going on in the world from a different perspective. It's overwhelming to read that. Whether the world is ready for an 850-page book, when we have the time to transcribe and resources to publish that book, I'm not sure. Uh, Steve Byram has offered to help and jump in and do that. By the way, this whole publishing initiative has been made possible by a generous contribution from Art and Charlotte Ellis to the Institute. So they're paying for the providing enough money for the publication cost of our first three to five books that are coming out of this, after which time I hope that they'll generate enough revenue. All the royalties from these books will go back to the Institute to fund the next research project. I'm donating my time. We're paying a a book consultant to do it right, but our costs are low. I think it can be self-perpetuating, but there's so much there. Um, Whether we need an edited version or two-volume version, but on God's side, freak you out. (laughs) Interesting. I did not know that. I'm very interested. Before he ever came up with the theory of formal axiology. But it shows a deep spirituality to Hartman's life experiences. Yeah. So that's all to come. And so I have to put a plug in on our website and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you're listening to this and this is speaking to you and in some small way or big way, you want to contribute to the Institute so that this work can continue because we are all volunteers. We all have our own businesses and work, but we also are passionate about this. There's a contribution button there. You can even become a part of the Institute as a member, which would be a contribution. You could also just make a contribution and that work maybe could support some of this. So we hope to do that. Uh, What an interesting concept and how advanced that he did that. What year? 1942? 43 it was finished. 43. So the idea of talking, I mean, that's like a wonderful plot story. I mean, a movie plot, you know, and that's, that is really being connected with all yeah by the way at the conference i'm doing a workshop on what we found in the archives so i'll bring in some printed copies oh of awesome we've done and i'll there there are three or four other volumes waiting for us to look at that i haven't described yet that i'll yeah. share with those who are at the conference and, and again fortunately hopefully get some buy-in to others to say yes let's make this come let's about do more uh, with either this. Through financial yeah. support or volunteering to transcribe or, or something like that my mission is to have more people attend the Hartman Conference so more people right. hear about this. Um, we've been for too long a small group of people who are nerds about this talking to each other. As an effort to expand that audience, I've uh, paid for a booth, an exhibit booth at the upcoming UN Conference on Civil Society. It's coming to Salt Lake City August 26th to 28th. It's the 68th annual UN Conference on Civil Society. I believe there will be two or 3,000 people flying into Salt Lake City to attend this event. I think we need to be part of it, so we are. Oh, that's great. We'll have a brief about the Institute and the conference uh, at the U.S. conference. And so what Cliff is talking about is the 2019 annual conference of the Robert S. Hartman Institute, and it is in Salt Lake City. Cliff's College, Westminster College, is sponsoring it or supporting it. Hosting it, 
posting it is the best way to say that. And I'll put links to that in the show notes. It's October the 23rd and 24th. There's a pre-reception the night before on Tuesday the 22nd. And there also will be some training by different axiological service providers the day before as well. So all that material or information will be in the show notes at the Robert Hartman Institute. And there's a way to register for that there, all the details. You can reach out to either one of us. A way to dig into, learn more about how you think and make decisions, learn more about this science, learn more about, uh, I just always tap into this idea around Hartman in regard to him being, because so many people know Maslow mm-hmm. and him being a friend, a personal friend of Maslow and being a, a, on the, one of the organizations that Maslow founded. And so when you take it out of the theoretical, which is a love, but when you think about it, people are listening and th- saying, how is this practical to me? How can I use this? I'm interested in it. It is about helping you become aware of your habits and then crafting a goal to get there. And it can also be applied not only personally, but I think that's a start to organizations, to every field elements of thinking and things that matter in every field. And and I love the focus too. the Medford or who I trained with initially that you mentioned, and he was a graduate student of Hartman's, he and Vera, so much uh, talking about and reminding of the value of the intrinsic and how unlimited that is and how deep and rich that is. That is the spiritual. And that's where so much meaning in our life comes from. Do you have any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, I believe the world is hungry for a recognition of the spiritual side of life. And and when I was a consultant, I didn't go that. It's personal, it's risky, it's important, but I kind of kept hands off. Mm -hmm. But I believe we ought not to ignore. And it's interesting that since uh, 9-11 and over time, the millennial influence and younger influence, I find for myself, if I open the door, I don't try to pull anybody through, but if I open the door and be more self-revealing and more about how do you feel, you know, what's your value, talk about those things, people are more willing to talk about them today. Our world has changed. Like you say, to exactly what you said, there's a hunger for it. Yeah. And I feel like when you connect with people, and I've had to do this for myself because I can put up a wall. I'm pretty determined. I can be I can be real friendly, but I can be removed. And I've really worked on that, and I continue to need to work on that. So, like when I'm with a group, to be really present. That's been my lesson. How do I be present as opposed to trying to look and act a certain way or be perceived a certain way? And that's the intrinsic. Intrinsic is being present. The intrinsic is who is this person in front of me and and if I feel my heart getting hard I I, or you know closed a little bit I think okay open 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 stop you know don't close people off get present Um, and it's it's a journey it's the hardest one (laughs) but it is the thing where you have all these meaningful moments you know and then the meaningful moments make for a great life I can't be just about that because he talked about these other dimensions you know I got to be practical and I got to have some structure. But at the end of the day, if you can open the intrinsic piece in your world, everything shifts. Yeah. Um, And I am a real fan of the work of Carl Rogers. I'm not a psychotherapist, but I really like his approach. And I was just rereading his book on becoming a person this past summer. And that's a real guide to me. um, Rogers, along with Hartman and some other big names like Abraham Maslow and Virginia Sater and, and Albert Ellis, we're all co-founders of the Humanistic Psychology Association. Mm. The first professional organization that said, you know, psychology is not just about mental illness. It's about mental health. It's about wellness. It's about becoming who you can be. Um, They all shared a certain commonality there. I just think the way Carl Rogers writes about it is a wonderful compliment to Hartman's work. Wonderful. I have not read it. I'm going to now. That's next. And it will be in the show notes. (laughs) I'm going to go through some of the, to get to know you even more. And I love so much what you've shared so far and and the work that you're doing in your heart. Um, It's awesome. So thank you in advance for being here before we've even finished. It's just been so valuable. Are there additional books or training programs that have been instrumental in your development? You've shared some of those and we'll capture those and put them in the show notes. Anything else you would add or highlight? 
Sure. Uh, two things in particular. One, my, my doctoral training at Fielding Graduate University was very important to me. Fielding prides itself on a transformational learning experience. It was for me. And also, in my late 40s, I went through a series of workshops with a, someone who's now a dear friend, and, and I consider her my spiritual director and lifetime coach, even though I don't pay her for coaching anymore. Uh, her name is Christina Thomas Fraser. She did a series of workshops called the Inner Light Intensives, which were a real intense way to understand who you are and what some of your deeply felt unexpressed emotions are and to tap into those and let them out in a healthy way. Uh, Christina is a marvelous person. Her book, In Tune with the Soul, means a great deal to me. Awesome. Okay, yeah, that goes on the list too. We'll okay. put notes to that. It was Christina Thomas when the book's published. It's, she's now okay. Thomas Fraser, but uh, yep. uh, In into, Tune with soul the Soul meant a great deal to me. Awesome. When you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? Clearly, no one immediately, because I've had different mentors through different parts of my lives. My life, Carl Rogers comes to my mind because I was just rereading his work, and he talks about how through 30 years of practice, he got to where he is at the time he wrote this book. And I admire that. He worked on the fringes of psychotherapy for the first 15 of those years. And it was it took a while for him to be in the mainstream. I believe, unfortunately, Hartman is on the fringe of philosophical theory and value theory and psychology in his time. Unfortunately, he didn't make it mainstream in his lifetime, but I sure hope together we can before another generation passes. Yeah, I agree. We'll do our part, see what happens. So we, a lot of work here at uh, the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast and uh, in my life, something is really important is I want to help people get to where they want to go. And that's what really touches me. And, and the way I express a lot of that is through Wake Up Eager, okay. which is, okay, let me wake up in the morning and be ready to go. And so there's certain things that we can do, mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. I have some tips that I share every week around that as well. Systemic, extrinsic, and intrinsic is another way you could say it. But what are some of your top, like what do you do regularly right now to create your own wake up eager days in each one of those areas, mind, body, and spirit? When I started my consulting practice, I was closely allied with a well-known motivational speaker and author named Brian Tracy. So I was an associate of Brian Tracy, and he was one of my mentors for about 12 years. Brian gave me a lot of good advice, but the, the one that stuck with me the most and done me the most good, he said, read an hour every day. And for the past 30 years, I've pretty much done that. During my doctoral program, it was like six hours a day. Sometimes yeah. I get a little stressed and don't do it as a, as a professor now. But that habit of reading an hour a day enriches my mind. Uh, mm. immensely. I'm addicted to it. Yay. Love it. How about body? Well, my wife and I have both looked in the mirror and said, you know, we ought to lose weight. So I'm proud to say that since the middle of May, graduation, uh, I've lost 20 pounds. Wow! And I'm halfway to my goal. But I was getting studgy and overweight and losing energy read a book this summer called Wheat Belly. Yep. That was me. My belly sticks out. I'm glad you can't see it. <laughs> but, I love the book. I okay. love that whole thing. When I read it, I cleaned out everything out of our pantry. That's what we've done. It's not, not been easy. We did it during the summer when I'm not teaching. Yeah. And, and, and yet I feel more alive. I have more energy. I sleep better at night. Yeah. It's fun to have my clothes fit better. I'm, I'm halfway to goal and I want to I stay on it. So that's been my most recent thing. Congratulations. Oh, That's awesome. To find the thing. You know you find the thing when you read it and say, okay, I'm going to throw everything out of my pantry that he lists. The, uh, yeah. I actually did a blood test um, because I knew intuitively, I knew when I read it, it was right. But I've done a bunch of blood tests mm. uh, with my functional medicine doctor, and I am actually allergic to gluten. Mm. So, so, I mean, I knew it was right. And I knew it felt better, but it actually showed up on the test. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I don't know if, if that author's prescriptions for everyone, but it sure defined me. 
Yeah. And I love yeah. nothing more than pastries and bread and muffins and yeah, things. Yeah. By cutting them out, I feel better. Yeah. Miss them, but I feel better. Yeah, you miss them sometimes. Yes, yes. How about, and you know, they have all these recipes now where you can make fake things that aren't fake, but, you know, that really, really help. Yeah the interest there okay so last but not least the spirit your spirit and sometimes when the work environment we may reference those as close friends family connections in the uh, Hartman world it's the intrinsic so what are some things that you do in that area I'd say there are three things one I have a wonderful wife who is my uh, spiritual partner and physical and mental partner it means a lot to have a close relationship like that secondly is my spiritual practice I'm a member of Self-Realization Fellowship. I practice something called Kriya Yoga. Yeah. Not as regularly as I know. I Yogananda yeah, is yeah, a Self-Realization yeah. Fellowship. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's my yeah. guru. Uh, Christina introduced me to Yogananda's work. I, that's been very helpful to my spiritual well-being. And finally, as a hobby, I, I believe at some point in life, we all need to get serious about a hobby. Yep. Feeds a different part of you. And do you want to share what that hobby is? I know it comes up later in a question, but let's share it now. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a spoon carver. Oh. And about three years ago, my wife and I were talking, and she said, Cliff, you need a hobby. I said, what do you mean? She said, all you do is talk about your work and Hartman and axiology, and you're boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. I said, what should I do? She said, I don't know or care, but I ought to do something. Oh, and I said, well, okay. what would you like to be yours? She said, I want to do paper box stitching. And I said, I've never heard of that. I said, where would yeah. you do that? She said, the Campbell Folk School. There's a summer camp for adults in North Carolina that has all kinds of arts and crafts. She said, I want to go to the Campbell Folk School and study paper box stitching. I said, you do it. I'm all for it. And she said, but you have to go too. And I said, I'll go. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'll sit on the porch and read a book, you know. And she said, no, no, you have to do a course also. And I said, well, I don't want to do paper box stitching. She said, I don't want to. I'm one you want. So I had a class in spoon carving. And I thought, okay, I'll sign up for spoon carving. Really to please my wife. I'm hooked now. I built. What do you love about it? Well, I'm, I'm trying to, to figure that out. And I used to build wooden boats in my youth. I'm still a real advocate of wooden boats. I love, and I realized one thing I love about boats are what boat builders call fair curves. That to make a, a boat look nice, the curves all have to be just right. And, and spoons are fair curves, mm-hmm. a wooden car spoon. And, and uh, the problem with the boat is it takes me several years and several tens of thousands of dollars and a whole lot of yeah. space to build a boat. Yeah, It's a long time from grass to get, gratitude from completion I'm too old to wait several more years to complete something but I can carve a wooden spoon in a few days and the wood is beautiful it does and it's all made of fair curves and you just kind of reduce it from what it is to so it's it thrills me I just kind of addicted to spoon carving and and it gets me out of my head you know, yeah, a, that's what I was just thinking. As a professor and a researcher, I spent a lot of time up here. Think of your hands. Yeah, and that's and to, extrinsic, to work with my hands. You know, yeah. Intrinsic, and it's a feeling that feels good to you that you associate exactly. with, and it's aesthetic. And yeah, oh, that. oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. And I don't have to have a return on that investment at all. I give them away. Nope. And, yeah. You know, to people who like, and it's just fun to do. So I, I advocate a hobby. Uh, yes. Someone can find meaning at. Now, how long have you been That's doing fun. that, a spoon carving? How long has that become a hobby? I've been carving for three years. Uh, last summer for my birthday, again, my, my wonderful wife, it was one of those milestone birthdays. She said, how would you like to go to camp in Maine off the grid and learn how to carve wooden bowls? So I did. I, she enrolled me in a week-long class at the Maine Craft School, a bunch of us old guys and an instructor, and we're off the grid with hand tools. And so I'm expanding from spoons to bowls here pretty soon. Very good. Variety. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when we see you at the conference, we'd like to see some spoon action here. You can bring some examples. (laughs) Um, My plan is to have the board meeting on Friday at our house. Oh, that's right. Awesome. Even see my workshop if if you beg me. Yes. Okay. Very cool. And you said that's become a defining part of you. Yeah. When we first talked about it. Yeah. 
kind of help round me out, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. How about a funny story that your family tells about you? Well, I, I tend to be pretty serious. I admire people who can laugh and do laugh out loud. I, I do it seldom. And I guess I've been that way all my life. I was about five years old and we were on a long car trip. My grandmother was with us in the back seat. And I guess she was trying to entertain me or I tend to be quiet in, in my own head. And she was just doing some kind of goofy things that five-year-olds should respond to. And I'm told I responded to her grandmother. Nobody likes stupid people. <laughs> did they get a good laugh? Did she think that was funny? Or did not, she get I don't a recall. Wild? This was yeah. 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 told that uh, yeah. I'd been kind of an old man since a kid. <laughs> and, you know, I think about that now. If, if, if grandma was maybe a little challenging to be around, your parents might have thought that was funny but couldn't laugh. I don't know. She probably didn't think it was funny. Yeah, a lot of adults do really well connecting the kids in a kid-like way. Yeah, I don't. I connect with kids in my way, but it's not. I don't do baby talk very well. Yeah, and I don't yeah. do goofy games and all. I love children, but some just don't pay any attention to me. And if you connect, they realize that I'm being who I am to them, and they can be yeah who they are. So yeah, it's um, that know yourself, choose yourself. So you're being you, and you're not. Uh, you know, and you've got to be comfortable with that. And who's drawn to that will come to it. And who isn't, oh, well. That's <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so if you're in a class with me, I'm a little serious sometimes. Yeah, that's good. I have a sign in my office right behind me that says, the best way to get approval is to not need approval. You know, and that's right. something I'm always working on too. But it's like, I have to read it every day. It's like, oh, yes, just be me. Just be me. It's okay if it's not received. And if it is, great. Okay, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Well, it goes light in line with that. It would be what Oscar Wilde said, uh, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. There we go. I love it. I love it. You would remind yourself of that, and you've come back around to it. If you ever strayed from it, you're, right. you're in full, full gear with it now today. If you could have a billboard anywhere, what would it be, and what would it say? I already said it. would be that quote by Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. Mm, awesome. So last little bit of wisdom as people are listening to this and we've had a great discussion, I believe, and I appreciate uh, about you and your background about Hartman's work and the science of value and what it is. What would you like the takeaway to be? You have give advice or final thoughts. Remember those four steps to a successful life. Know yourself, choose yourself, grow yourself and give yourself to something more important than you. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susie. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Cliff. I know that you're feeling inspired and interested. Hopefully you now know more about Hartman's work, the depth and breadth of it. You know more about the science of axiology, and you've gained some tips and insights around living on purpose. You can find our show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Cliff. I mentioned at the start, and I think Cliff and might have mentioned it during the interview as well, is we have the Robert S. Hartman Conference. In, it's in Salt Lake City, Utah this year, October 23rd and 24th at Cliff's College. He is actually our host, host with the most this year. And you can find that. There will be a link in the show notes. But if you go to HartmanInstitute.org, you'll find all the information around that. And if you want to better understand human character and you want insight into business practices around management and customer relations and retaining employees, our single goal or intent is to change the world for better through the understanding of the science of values, which is the work about Robert S. Hartman's work. Uh, the science of values, how we think and make decisions. So come join us. There'll be thinkers and doers from all over the world there. And um, look for the links in the show notes to that, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Cliff. And I'll close with what Cliff talked about that Robert Hartman shared. And I want you to think about, I had asked him, which one of these is more challenging for you? And here they are, the four steps that uh, Hartman said were so important. Know yourself. Choose yourself, grow yourself, give yourself to something greater than yourself. And so think about each four of those. How would you rank yourself on a scale of zero to a hundred 
on how you're doing. Apply a little bit more of that in your life on that area where you say, hmm, I want to grow this area a little bit more. So I look forward to our next episode. It's an interview with Rick Bowers, the president of TTI Success Insights, and he is going to share some interesting things about what's coming and in the trimetrics assessment, and he's going to share why they use the axiology science and why he thinks it's important. Plus, you're going to learn some interesting things about somebody who is uh, running a company and things he learns and and shares, and it'll be a, a great episode as well. So we'll see you on the other side of that. Come check us out at wakeupeagerworkforce.com. Have a great afternoon. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 